Welcome to How Have You Not Seen That? My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. Uh, this is a podcast about telling the truth about films we have not seen. I think it's very easy to try and appear smart or cultured and lie to people that you've seen a film. This is a podcast where we come clean. And Charles, you admitted last week that you had not seen Gattaca. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to tell us about Gattaca? Yeah, sure. So Gattaca is set in a near-future society where they've kind of perfected um, genetic engineering and they can kind of gene-engineer new children to be as perfect as they can make them with their technology, I guess, and, you know, root out different, like, you know, random diseases that can pop up and things like that, or minimize the chance of those, at least. Um, but the main character, played by Ethan Hawke, is someone who was conceived through normal means without any genetic intervention. Um, but in this society, you know, nobody wants to like hire them or do anything like that because, you know, they have, they have a higher risk of different diseases and like, you know, might not have the same like physical or mental capabilities as someone who is like genetically engineered. So he's in this like underclass of people called the um, invalid, invalids, yeah. Um, they have other like fun names for them and stuff right. like that. Degenerates, I think, was one. <laughs> yes, that was That's the a funny one. one. <laughs> um, but this guy has always dreamed of going into space, uh, and he hatches up a scheme to do that. So apparently in this world, uh, if someone who was genetically engineered falls on hard times, uh, they might sell their identity and their DNA to someone who is an invalid trying to you know, make their way up in the world. Uh, so he takes on the identity of a guy who broke his back in a car accident um, and gets into the the institution that sends people off into space. Uh, and he's actually doing really well there. He, he's like worked extra hard to study all the, the celestial navigation he, he needs and like the physical fitness that he needs and all that. Uh, and he's like meticulously, you know, taking care of his genetic um, material so that he can pretend to be this other guy. Um, but his mission director gets murdered one day and he accidentally leaves behind a piece of his actual genetic material, like a hair. So the investigators find it. They're like, why is this invalid in the building? He's clearly not supposed to be there, so he's probably the murder suspect. Um, and so most of the movie is him trying to avoid investigators finding out who he actually is. Um, eventually, through tons of different like tense scenes and deception and all that, he manages to uh, avoid them all. The real murderer is found and he does get to go into space. And there's a love plot in there, too. There's a little love plot in there, but... Uh, yeah. It was minimal, I feel. It was. Um, I hadn't seen this before. This, was, this one oh, was yeah? new to me. Yeah, so I was in the same position as, as you, Charles. Uh, what did you think of it? How would you feel? I liked it. Um, I thought it was an interesting story, um, a fairly well-developed world, and I really cared about this guy's, like, underdog story. Um, so I like really cared if he got got to go into space or not, right? And you could you could see his passion for it and how hard he was working for it. Um, I do have some issues with the movie. Like some part of the movie felt kind of unfinished. I guess I don't know if it was just like a low budget production, um, but I don't know. Like maybe it's the lack of different environments or like you don't get to peek much outside of the society. Um, I mean, you get a few glimpses at like restaurants and like a club and things like that, but I don't know. Something about it felt incomplete to me. Yeah, there's a lot of like 
conversations in rooms. Yeah. Like stuff like that, or parking lots, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or like things felt, like they're supposed to be clean and minimal, right? But in yeah. a way, they almost felt like under-furnished. Yeah. Like the sets, something about them felt like incomplete in a way. And like, I know they're going for a certain aesthetic, but you can go for that aesthetic and still have it not look incomplete, like they do in like Westworld, I guess, would be the first example that comes to mind. Or like the Blade Runner sequel. Like, like there were, there yeah, were like exactly. big empty rooms in there, but it was like, here's this, the other part of this culture. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this one, Carl? Had you seen it before? Yeah, I had. Okay. So how, I, how did it land? High School Biology. Really? Yeah. I, I'd okay. seen a bit of it in High School Biology. That's why I know of this movie, yeah. but I we didn't see the whole thing. Really? It, was, okay. it was like a sub day, I think, and I'm just like, all right. Yeah. All right here's some, there's science in this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I found this watch through quite uh, affecting. I oh, yeah. yeah, I was really kind of like touched by the movie this time around. I think, um, yeah, I, I agree with Charles that I was like really invested in this character. Yeah, um, I don't totally agree with like how the movie like concludes, but oh, yeah. I I liked like it, it had like it was like a kind of spy story. Yeah, that I yeah. liked it's about a, it. Almost yeah. it, it, like a spy or noir yeah. story, even. Like it's that. definitely noir yeah. influence because yeah. it's like sort of retro future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the it has like a strong retro cool. future aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like yeah. an episode of Mad Men. Yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the future. But it's the future. Yeah, I mean, it's oh. interesting because all the cars are like classic cars, but they're also electric cars. Yeah. And they're clearly like future. It's like Fallout. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot like Fallout. Without the bomb. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I felt very, like, touched by this character and, like, the lengths that they were willing to go to, like, see their, see through their dream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I also found it really interesting that, like, it's such, like, an evil society, but it presents itself, like, so nicely. Yes. Like, it's very, like, ordered and clean and modern and, um, there's no, like camps here mm -hmm. but it's still like a like an ethno state and mm -hmm. I, I thought that mm -hmm. that was very interesting yeah, yeah. And it, the yeah. movie was like i think appropriately understated with its handling of race where it didn't like call it out but it was still like oh this is like a, a, a fundamentally racist idea of, like there's mm -hmm. the, the premise of like gene engineering and like deciding what wellness actually is and like mm -hmm. that kind of thing is like intersects with the race in a, in a way that is unavoidable, um, yeah. I suppose. Um, but yeah, it, you, you mentioned the look of the movie a few times, and I think that that is an interesting, uh, an interesting place to start, because I agree mm -hmm. there's a starkness to it. Like, yeah. there's a, it's a lot of grays, it's a lot of like big, unoccupied spaces. Um, you're, you spend most of the time, it seems like, in offices, or yeah. like people's scantily furnished apartments. Um, and I think that that was, I think it wasn't an, an intentional choice, and I think that part of that choice probably was motivated by budget. Like, I don't think yeah. this was, this was like a middle-of-the-road movie. It shot around L.A. I recognize yeah. Oh, yeah. a lot okay. of, of this Makes film. Makes sense. Yeah. That's where they make movies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they're just, like, cleverly using L.A. modernist architecture okay. to present this, like, society. Yeah. Do you, do you know where the... Uh, you know, like the where the staircases are when they're entering Gattaca, and there's like a it looks almost like the Guggenheim, but it's not quite. It's kind of like the like circular staircases. Um, no. Okay. But I recognize <laughs> some of the other locations, uh, okay. like the wondering. tunnels in downtown LA. Yeah. And um, there's 
uh, they shoot out in Malibu, like her Uma Thurman's like house is out in Malibu somewhere, I believe, mm -hmm. or Ventura, like somewhere up the coast. Yeah, well, because it's right on the beach there. She like has this yeah. multi-million dollar house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the houses look like that up there. Yeah. And then there's there's a bunch of other stuff I recognize. Yeah. Actually, one of the buildings in, in the background is was on my like grad school campus. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's I think it's used here well, right? And mm -hmm. I think that part of that is just motivated by the, you know, material necessity of yeah. shooting around LA and like they didn't have a ton of money on this one. And they, they hired a hell of a cast, so I think they probably spent a lot of money on that. Um, but it, it serves the narrative well, right? Like that, mm -hmm. the, this idea that if you you engineer everybody to have perfect genes, that it, it sterilizes the culture also, right? Like, that mm -hmm. everything starts looking gray, everything, like, you never see any art in this movie. Like, nobody's ever, like, producing anything. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit. Like, they can make 12-fingered piano music now. <laughs> right, right. But it's all very, you know, manufactured and, mm -hmm. like, very, like, in its spot. Yeah, it's, like, corny culture. <clears throat> right, yeah. right, exactly. That's or, something yeah. I noticed about this. It reminded me a lot of Equilibrium. Okay. You know, in Equilibrium, yeah. it's a society where they yes. actively suppress their emotions. And in this one, a lot of the characters behave like the characters in Equilibrium, yeah. where they seem very unemotional. Yeah, and, and, and I agree. And it, that makes sense with this callback to the 50s, right? So they're all dressing like it's they're in a boardroom in 1958. And like so, of course, a society that is very concerned with with that kind of regimenting and that, that mm -hmm. kind of, you know, sameness. Tracking, would, too. Right, yeah, yeah. Would, would have to call back to an earlier culture to draw from. Like, they don't, they can't create anything new anymore, right, because, because they have saturated themselves to such a strong degree, so they have to go back to a different culture to draw anything mm -hmm. from. Um, they can't do it themselves. And I thought that that was effective. And, like, yeah. uh, again, they don't state it, but I think that it's in the text and that that, mm -hmm. that works for me. Um, what do we think about Ethan Hawke here? This is, uh, he was a baby in this movie, apparently, but um, I thought it was effective. How, how do we feel about him? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you have to have a good, like, like actor to, to sell the underdog story in the sure. first place, right? And if you don't care about the character, the whole movie falls apart. And mm -hmm. obviously he was effective enough that I really cared a lot about, you know, how well he was going <clears> to <throat> do. And the whole movie, I was, the whole time going through, I was wondering if they are going to, go for some kind of like, you know, bittersweet ending where his heart doesn't make it when he goes off into space. I guess you technically That's don't know. That's I was anticipating too. Yeah, yeah, but I was wondering if they were going to do that to us or not. Right, and they didn't. Yeah. Right, that was that, a relief. That gets put on the Jude Law character, right? Because mm -hmm. he kind of, he kills himself at the end for, I guess he thought he was going to get caught, which he probably was. I, um, it seemed like he was just kind of tired of life, I guess. You, right. He, he which, felt that way the entire movie. It's like a very was, tragic character. Yeah, he was depressed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's <laughs> paraplegic. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and I think that's what was supposed to be happening there. Um, but, yeah, like, that's where I thought it was going to, that he was going to get into space and it would be like, oh, it turns out you can't have a severe heart condition and be an astronaut. <laughs> they were right all along. And, you know... <laughs> That I think that was the only thing that kind of like bugged me a little bit about this movie. It's like, yeah, if you actually have a major heart condition yeah. that's completely untreated <laughs> for your entire well, life, we don't we don't know that he has a heart condition. Well, he has a one percent chance of not having it. Okay, yeah. so that's right. what I thought. Oh, he had a one percent chance of like making it past thirty or something. Yeah, but then we have him. He has that. We have that scene where he's on the treadmill. Yeah, and he had like recorded Jew Law's heartbeat earlier. And he was he was running on the treadmill, and as soon as he pulls it off, like it turns because he has like the steady yeah. Jude Law heartbeat, and he pull, he pulls no, off that I, recording. The way that I read that scene was like he like 
brushed the recording and it like played improperly, like really fast. See that? I, yeah. I think that is a plausible like reading. Yeah. But yeah. the scene right after that, we have him in the locker room, just like gasping for breath and like yeah. I read that as his ground. actual heart. I think that's his actual heart condition. Oh, okay. Um, at least that's how, how I write it. So to, to me, what is being communicated there is like, yeah, this guy turns out does have a heart problem. And so now I'm thinking like, yeah, maybe he's not the best astronaut in the world. Yeah, well, they, they talked about how like he wouldn't make it past like 30 or something. Right. I don't know how his heart held out. I don't know, maybe he's not 30 yet in the movie. Yeah, I mean, he, I, I don't think Ethan Hawke was 30 when he made this. Okay. So probably not. But he's getting there. But I figure, like, if yeah. you have to train physically so intensely <laughs> so often, it's going to make the situation worse. You'd think, right, which is why they don't want him up there in the first place. So, and additionally, like, once he does get up there, like, they're going to figure out very quickly that he is not who he says he is, right? Like, that... I mean, he applied to be a celestial navigator, right? right? And he's very good at that part of it. At least the movie tells us he is. We don't see it, but like, you know, he gets like top marks and all that, and he memorized yeah. the book and yeah, all that. Yeah, so he'll, he'll be fine at his job as long as his heart doesn't explode. <laughs> right. But I, like, I think that there's like an interesting thing. Like, this is a different movie, I guess. But I think there was a, an interesting thing that could have happened where like, he we, we see more of the crew, right? Like the people yeah. that he's going up with, and he gets up there and they figure out like, oh no... This guy's actually one of the untouchables. Yeah. And they have to, like, deal with that. Uh-huh. And I think that would have been interesting. What we got was also interesting, but I think that yeah. there's, like, space in this world for that story. Mm-hmm. And, like, that would have been that would have been cool. Yeah, I, I would, well, I mean, I they're stuck that. in there. They better, they better get used to it. And him. that's just it. <laughs> and like, they can't turn around, right? Like, they have probably a set amount of fuel and food and all yeah. that. Um and like they have this small window that they can make this trip, um, yeah, so exactly. like that would that would have been neat. Like then they have to like negotiate their prejudices and his heart condition and whatever else. Like that 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 would have been interesting. I think it's interesting that you mentioned equilibrium. Yeah, because I I thought of that too. And actually, one of the things that I think equilibrium. Have you seen equilibrium? Yeah. It's uh, Christian Bale, like, it's like this movie, but it's like the action version cool. of this movie. Yeah, and plus like. Fahrenheit 451, which this movie also draws from. Sure, yeah. um, but what happens in Equilibrium is then Christian Bale, like there's like a turn mm-hmm. where he's like, he's one of the inside guys. And then he's one of the like top yeah. cops, basically. Yeah, sure. And like early in the movie, he realizes that this is like not how society should be organized. What Equilibrium does though is then he like, kills everybody and like helps like <laughs> like yeah he leads the revolution he leads the revolution right. and that's I, I felt like that was like missing from this movie that there was like no mm-hmm. space for this character to like rebel against the society so the only way to like make it work was to like fit in right and to, just be like the best like imposter yeah yeah um yeah, yeah he which, wasn't he, he was concerned exclusively with like his own liberation yeah, it was a, it was a very personal liberation for Ethan yeah. Hawke. Like he he d- didn't have any even the Uma Thurman character, like and we never get a sense that he like wants to help her out and he d- really no, just, he's just like I'll see you in a year. Yeah, like, he just kind of like, even though she's got the same yeah. problem he right. does, like, almost exact same problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like he, he should find some solidarity and right. Yeah. There's not none of that. Um, and he he just kind of dupes her for as long as he can, and then like brings her in on the plan just enough for him to continue getting away with it and then leaves for a year. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I guess that's that's <laughs> yeah. who this dude is. So that's what I didn't like about the movie is that I think yeah. like it's prescription for like how to fix this problem is to like 
just kind of fake it and be right. be an insider. Yeah, or, or which, that it's not fixable. Yeah, right. That, that which, I, which feels very hopeless. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree. The, I guess the glimmer, like my favorite moment in this movie it happened right at the end, and I think it kind of runs against that. Yes, with the doctor. Yes, um, where the, yeah. the, the, the you figure out that like the doctor has realized who he is and just like lets him go anyway. And like that's like and a, that he's basically known the whole time, right? Yeah, and like th- that I think was a really nice moment of humanity and like adds this layer to this kind of background joke character that we've seen yeah. throughout the film. Like that, I think that was the most effective, the most effective. Yeah, I was really me. surprised by that moment. I didn't yeah. expect that to that, see that. It happens coming. in Equilibrium. I'm surprised you're surprised <laughs> by it. <laughs> oh, the which, same moment. Which moment was that? Well, he's hooked up to a lie detector oh, yeah, 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 in yeah. Equilibrium, and because they use lie detectors to tell if you're like feeling emotions or not. Okay. And then there's a turn like late in the movie, and you, Christian Bale's hooked up to a lie detector, yeah. and his numbers just start going off the sure. charts. <laughs> like when he's finally presented with like the truth of himself. Yeah, and it's cool in Equilibrium because then he like kills everybody at that moment. But, <laughs> um, Here's the truth, <laughs> and, and it's cool here. It's like very affecting because the doctor's like, yeah, it was my yeah, favorite my, part. My son is, yeah, like you. And, yeah, it, you know. yeah, I thought that worked. That worked really well. I I, I like that a lot. Um, so, like, the the cast of older gentlemen that they found for this movie, because they cast Gore Vidal yeah. as the boss And guy. Ernest Borgnine. And Ernest Borgnine as yeah. the boss janitor guy. Yeah. And, like, wow. <laughs> That's, I, I saw I, them I on the I really know who they are. Uh, okay. I feel like I should now that like you talk about them that way. 50s comedic actors. Well, okay. Gore Vidal's not a comedian. Uh, uh, Ernest, or, Bor- Ernest Borgnine is. Yeah, Borgnine is, yeah. Yeah, uh, Gore Vidal is mostly known as an author. Um, but okay. he had appeared in um, in film before. He, what he's most famous for is arguing with uh, what's his name, the National Review guy, on on TV. Oh yeah, William um, F. Buckley. Yeah, Buckley. Um, so he um, he has this because they would famously like just meet on TV and just like debate the issues of the day, and there was yeah. Corporate on the left and Buckley on the far far right. And there's this great moment, um, and I think it might have been the last time they did this, where they're arguing about something or other. And Buckley just kind of snaps, and he uses a gay slur on national TV against Gore Vidal, who is gay. Oh, man. And you see this little smile on Gore Vidal's face, like, as soon as he does it, because he knows that he got him. It's like, <laughs> yeah. this is the moment, like, yep, I, I won the argument, like, you can't come back from this. Um, and it's beautiful. <laughs> it, is, wow. it is quite good. But he was in this movie. He was the guy that turned out to murder that other dude with the keyboard. <laughs> like, that was Gore Vidal. Um. Well, Danny DeVito produced this movie. He was like yes. the exec producer. I saw that. So, so I wonder if he like knows these guys yep. just from his work in Hollywood. Was able to kind of get them. Yeah, that would stand a reason. Um, but it was cool to see him there, and like Ernest Borgnine is still doing his thing, and mm-hmm. yeah, like, that that was cool. Um, but then yeah, Uma Thurman too, Ethan Hawke, uh, Jude Law. Like it's kind of a lot of recognizable people in this yeah. movie. Did Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke get together because of this movie, or were they in other movies together? I was wondering that too. I think so. that was my guess. I don't. I didn't actually look into this at all. I feel like Maya Hawke's only a little bit younger than this movie. Right. I forgot how how old she is, but <laughs> right. She's and been coming up lately because of Stranger Things and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Who's so, she in Stranger Things? She was uh, the the other ice cream uh, chick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, for, uh, I forget her. Must be nice to have. Parents that yeah. are yeah. of a certain class that allow you to do things. So, like, that, I, I remember yeah. I read an article about that once, <laughs> where like someone was talking about how they would they were like interviewing 
child or like children of actors that would go on to be actors and like almost to the individual they would all say like well yeah sure uh having my dad be super famous helped me get my foot in the door but after that like it was (laughs) (laughs) it was all me it's like yeah that's the whole fucking thing getting your foot in the door (laughs) you asshole that's that's the the hard part Jerk. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, re- return to this movie. Hell of a cast. Like I was. Yeah. I was surprised like several Ju- times. Jude Law. Ju- he's a what a great actor. It's like for he sure. kind of yeah. seals the movie. Yes, I think he's the best he's performance here. Like so downtrodden, but like kind of like on board with what's happening. It's like an interesting character because you yeah. would think that he would just want to watch the world burn, but. Which he does, but yeah. he also like, like seems invested in like helping Ethan Hawke, which is like not the way that you would automatically take this. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I think he, he's invested in helping Ethan Hawke, but I, I think he also just kind of wants to win one. I think yeah. he wants to like get one over. Because on Ethan Hawke is still kind of representing his genes almost. Right. Right. And and he he's like gets to play a part in this like subterfuge, mm-hmm. and I think that that is important that he has to like accomplish this thing because he like wasn't able to be an Olympian or whatever it was yeah. um, or continue being an Olympian um, and it, so in that light it kind of makes sense that he would kill himself at the end of the movie like he accomplished the thing that he wanted to accomplish and like yeah. that's it um, so yeah he was good he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder because yeah. they always talk about how great his jeans were and all mm-hmm. that and yet he's still like the second place finisher yeah. in his swimming competition so it's like even all that wasn't enough <laughs> Because there's right. just always someone better, and right. so he's got that weight on him like the entire movie. And and you again, they never like draw a point to it, but there is this sense that like he's frustrated that Ethan Hawke is accomplishing all these things without the advantages, right? Like that he is he's doing it without the engineering, he's doing it without the 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 built-in stuff that mm-hmm. that Jude Law had, and he. Like, Jude Law works that into the performance, I think, in interesting, quiet ways that that were effective for me. Like, I, I think you got that sense. Um, the scene I liked with him that I thought was going somewhere and then wasn't was when he gets stopped by the cop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a really funny scene. It was a funny scene. And they, like, do the gene scan and, like, the name that Ethan Hawke has been using comes up because it's his name and, and his genes. And I thought that that would become a thing. Like, I thought it was yeah. going to be, like, how is it that... This guy was here in this car at the same time that he was in a wheelchair in front yeah, of us. Yeah, I thought that too. And then it just wasn't. I thought maybe like that cop, because I recognize that actor, so I thought maybe that cop would show bad. up again. Yeah. yeah, that was Hank. Um, he might show up again, or like maybe it might come up that like Jude Law has an accent and Ethan Hawke doesn't. Or right, any like number that. of things. And like that was good tension, because like I remember oh, yeah. like seeing both of those things play out, and I was like, oh shit, like. It's going down. And then it just doesn't. And for a movie that was generally pretty tightly plotted, like, that feels like a weird... Bit like, of, like, an unfired Chekhov's gun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that that was a weird spot for me. But the, the, just that as that scene isolated worked well. Like, yeah. As Jude Law just being a good actor. Yeah. yeah. What I thought was funny was they had that long scene of him climbing up the stairs mm-hmm. to deceive the cop, right? And... It's like super tense because you're not sure if he's going to make it there and you're not sure like how in-depth the police investigation is going to be when they get there. Mm -hmm. But like he just like sits down on his chair and they never like make him get up or anything and they just scan his blood once and leave. So it was kind of funny like how painstakingly thorough they were and how 
not throw they were at the same time. Right. Well, I, I think that like the movie calls attention to that early on because they have to the, the the film has to explain why nobody notices that it's not Ethan Hawke and all the pictures that pop yeah. up when they scan everything. And the excuse that the movie gives is that like once you have this verified at the gene level, people just like stop looking at faces, right? Like yeah. it, this can all just be verified by a machine, so like who gives a shit after that? Which is like kind of how privilege operates. Yes, yeah. it is. And yeah. and I think that that was at play there. It's like it, it checks out on the the machine and that's that's that. Oh, so, and Alan Arkin was in this movie. I just remembered. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of the cops. And so I think that that's what was happening there. And I think that that made sense for me in this world. Mm-hmm. Right? That they would just kind of do this perfunctory yeah. check. Yeah. I just thought it was funny. It is. Yeah. And it works. Um, so that, that that was good. We got some of the uh, like charming and a little bit creepy Jude Law at that one. Yeah. Um, which he does well. He, he kind of threads that. He was very well. skeevy in that he, scene. Right. Skeevy is the right word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that that is apt. Um, so that that was interesting. Um, I, have a, I have a question about this one because we have that long flashback at the beginning with his brother, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That his brother was engineered and Ethan Hawke wasn't, and that there was this rivalry, and that it works out that his brother is the cop that's been investigating this murder the entire movie. Was that supposed to be a reveal at the end, or like were we supposed to know all along that that was the brother? I just forgot about his brother the entire movie. Well, yeah, because they don't mention him again. <laughs> yeah. Until the very, very end. But so I, I think it was. I don't know. I think it's supposed to be a, like a surprise. Okay, because yeah. Amazon spoiled that for me. I, oh no! <laughs> I fucking I rented this on Amazon Prime, and they have that thing where you pause it, and it'll say like actor and role all at the bottom. Oh, that's yeah. His name. And there it was. I was like, oh, okay, it's that guy. Because I guess you technically don't know his name the entire movie. Yes. Because it's important that his name is yeah. Anton. Right. And so I, yeah. And so I, I kind of suspected that before I paused it to you know go get a drink or whatever. And then I saw it on there. I was like, oh okay, yeah, sure, that makes sense. But then they like treat it as a reveal at the end. I was like, oh maybe I wasn't supposed to know that <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. I had to piece that back together because I didn't realize that they'd never actually seen each other the entire movie. I thought that at some point they would have passed by each other and seen each other in one of the million scans that they did. Right, but and it turns out they never did. Right, because okay, he sees him in that alley when he beats up that cop. And I don't think he saw him. He, well, he, he like he his, ran away. He hollers his name. He hollers oh. for Vincent because he like knows like he's seeing like. His photo. Right. Right. And I think that that might have triggered it because it's yeah. his brother. Um, and then, because he, he does call her, like, his Ethan Hawke character's real name, which is Vincent. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, he has been chasing after Vincent the whole movie. So he's been aware that he's been chasing his brother this whole movie. You yeah. But he's, like, trying to hide that from his partners. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Another example of, like, somebody in this movie, like, like kind of fighting against the culture, but not really, but in, in an individual way. Right, like that mm-hmm. is like this individualized rebellion because you see that from the brother, the doctor, and then of course Ethan Hawke. Well, yeah, I think what's clever about this movie is that like it is like an ethno nationalist like fascist sure. state. Yeah. But again, as I said earlier, it's like it's not a like a overtly mean one. It's yes. just like. Added, it's added, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, like the cruelty of the culture just like underlies the, mm-hmm. the very nice. Uh, facade, right? But it's yeah. also a, a dull facade. Like I think yeah. that that's important. That it's yeah. that the the facade they're putting forward is not particularly interesting, and it doesn't like inspire any kind of anything. It's just uh, not immediately offensive. That's all it has going for it. <laughs> <laughs> like that's fine. But but that's like kind of in opposition to the way that 
fascist states are usually presented yes. in film, mm-hmm. where they're like overtly bad. Yeah, well, or, or or like because well, they're modeling the fascism fascism that we've seen in the world. Yeah, right. Because like you look at Nazi Germany or Nazi Italy or what have you, it's like giant statues and like big banners off, off of stadiums or huge rallies and stuff yeah. like that. That's the equilibrium society. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and that's 1984, and that's, like, yeah. we've seen that replicated in a lot of media. That's Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. And, like, fascism doesn't always operate that way, right? Or, like, fascist instincts don't always operate that way. And I think that was an insight here, like, a, a good insight here. Um, I think to a certain extent it was an insight in the movie that we watched last week. I think that that's part of what Conformist had going for it. Yeah. Um, and, like, Brave New World, I think, has some of that as well. The Man in the High Castle does that, too. Okay, which I haven't seen. Um, uh, first season's good. Um, <laughs> the what's yeah I mean what's clever about it is that it's like it is what happens in Manhattan Castle the US like loses World War II mm-hmm. and then the US is split by Germany and Japan and Japan controls the west coast and Germany controls the east coast okay um, and it's like a spy story within that but there's uh, a Nazi commander um, who He's kind of like the guy. He's like this. He's the leader of like the SS uh-huh. in in the U.S. And it's interesting to see the way that he's portrayed because he just like goes home to a suburban house and like has right. a family and like they do like normal American stuff. But yep. he's also like the leader of like SS on the East Coast. A, a and, death like, camp. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, he's the one that's kind of like leading the investigation. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's probably the best part of that show. Actually, is mm-hmm. that guy. And then he finds out his son has, like, a health defect, and within that society, that means that, yeah. Yeah, he gets killed. Yeah. Um, and that was, like, very moving within that show. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It reminded me of this, actually, because okay. well, the, the doctor. Yeah, we see it in yeah. Micro and the, yeah. with the doctor character. Yeah. Um, okay, that's that's neat. Yeah. yeah. Um, Watch the first season, just be like, and eh, it's done. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a lot of, like, good turns, and it's just like. <laughs> yep, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's enough. Okay. <laughs> Oh, the other, like, name in this one that I was like, oh, this guy's in this movie. Tony Shalhoub shows up to be, like, the... Who's that? Um, yeah. The guy in Monk. Monk. yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't know him by name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, now you do. Um, he's the guy that, like, is the fence or whatever, the contact to set up the this whole... The black market identity broker. Right, and he's in, like, that one sequence where they set up this whole thing and never doesn't come back. Like the Emmyist winning actor of all time. Is right? really? I think oh, yeah. he's, yeah. That, I guess that I think he sense. might be. He has a, like a ton of them. Monk like always it, won. And it ran for like 10 seasons. It was on for yeah. fucking ever. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he got a nomination or two for Miss Maisel too. He's, he plays the mm. dad in that movie. Or that sure. show rather. And yeah, like they apparently they like him. Um, and they like that show. He's got a very colorful character in this one for the very small he's screen great. time he has. Yeah, yeah. like he, he really steals those scenes. Yeah, he's he's funny and like and this movie kind of needed some levity, especially at that yeah. point. Like it had been pretty heavy, like flashbacks yeah. before that, and like stark fascist grayness, and Ethan Hawke trying to fit in, and like you needed a little color at that point, mm-hmm. and I think that that he usefully uh, provided that. Um, what do we think of the uh, Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke relationship in this movie? Totally tagged on. Yeah. She's just meant, she's set up to be like a femme fatale character. I guess. But then it doesn't go anywhere. Like, I I, had, I didn't remember the end of the movie, so I was like, did Uma kill the guy? Like, that's what I thought they were setting <laughs> oh, up. Oh, that might have been interesting. Yeah. Was that she was the one that 
like <laughs> actually killed him, him, and she had been like pinning it on on Ethan Hawke, so, which would been... be like a noir po- yes. plot line. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's not that at all. Yes. <laughs> it, it really felt like her character had nothing to do and had no real reason to be there, I yeah. guess. Because they kept, like, giving little reasons why her character might be interesting. Like, she might be trying to bust Ethan Hawke's character. Uh-huh. She might have been the murder victim. She might be some sort of reason for Ethan Hawke to not want to go to space. They even mentioned that. And none of these really <laughs> come to fruition. Yeah. They just get thrown away, so... She could have just not existed in this movie. Would have been almost the same, right? And it's kind of because this would have been after Pulp Fiction. Like it's mm. it's weird that she ends up with such kind of just a nothing role. You almost wonder if yeah. she's there to like market the film, essentially. Yeah, I mean she's on the box. Yeah, so I think there's we need a love story. Yeah, well, or that. A, yeah, we need a female character. Like because if if she's not in it, like literally everybody in this movie, I think everybody in this movie is a man. Yeah, yeah. and. Yeah, like we have Ethan Hawke's mom in flashbacks, <laughs> like, and like extras, and extras, and like yeah. that's it. Because um, yeah, it's a very, very masculine cast. Yeah, like it's a it's a bunch of dudes. It's directed by a dude. It's written by a dude, and then Uma Thurman's there. Um, her part was the part of the movie that most reminded me that this was in the '90s. Like this was made yeah. in in 1997 or whatever, and it's like that felt like the most most specifically '90s about it too. She's, I mean, she's just a '90s actor. You know? okay. a, a that yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> so is Ethan Hawke. Yeah, um, but it just that it it was this totally tacked on love story yep. and this otherwise like middle brow prestige ish like sci fi story mm-hmm. and her story her narrative didn't go anywhere. Her character didn't have uh, even a second dimension, much less a third one. And, like, that was that. And I feel like that kind of thing was... It obviously still happens now, but it was far more common in 90s genre movies. Um, okay. And, yeah. Like, I, I think all of those plot lines with her not going anywhere led to... Or contributed to my feeling of the movie feeling kind of incomplete. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that that's, that is apt. Yeah, like, if she had killed the guy and been, like, trying to pin it on Ethan Hawke, or... Yeah, like, that's... Cool there's some kind of betrayal turn or something. That'd yeah, be really exactly. cool. Yeah, yeah. Because Gore Vidal being the killer like comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, and like doesn't. Yeah, they add s- up. they set it up <laughs> maybe once when he talks about how there's like a seventy. It's every seventy years, and they only have a week window Fine. to do it. Yeah, but like, we that's also, like we never see the director, so we don't know that they like have a contentious relationship. Right, or, and he just yeah. kind of. It's a good example of telling and not showing, and it's like okay, I guess that's that resolves that plot line. Yeah. And like that, kind of stinks because they did set it up well. Like the the stuff that yeah. they have a lot of interesting threads there. It's set up as a noir film. Like yeah. you're looking for, you know, the woman to like turn on it, everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. And have, having the noir end with like the guy getting the thing he wants, is <laughs> is like not noir. Like, yeah. That's not usually how that goes. Yeah. Um, which Just, I think you don't need to do that necessarily, but sure. Yeah. It was also a little weird to me that the resolution of that whole murder investigation was just, was just that Alan Arkin goes back to the murder body. Yeah. And like scans it again. It's like I thought they <laughs> yes. scanned it really thoroughly the first time. You'd think they would have done that. Nope, they, they didn't. Apparently. Um, so yeah, that is um, so like all peculiar. dystopian um, movies. Yeah, this one they, they, has a message, yeah. and that's like, I mean, to me, this message is just so like sort of like predetermining where people should end up in society is bad. That's like the obvious mm-hmm. uh, thing here. Um, to me, this. Like makes me think about college a lot, and like how sure. people are kind of like tracking yeah. its college. Was, do you do y'all feel that this was like trying to be that, or just was it just saying like huh. in society in general, like this is bad? I mean, the most obvious like element 
of this in the real world is like how people are tracked towards college. Yes. And therefore like a good job and then success yeah. in life. Well, my favorite story about this, mm -hmm. and I might have told this on the podcast at some point before, but like apparently there was this experiment in the UK at one point where they would have like a very explicit track program where they would like test kids when they're very young, like the equivalent of first grade, and like some of them would be tracked towards trades and some of them would be tracked towards college and like that's that. And like the mm -hmm. college kids would have a certain course of classes up until university and the trade kids would have a different course of classes up until they learned to be a carpenter or whatever. Um, well, one year, <laughs> a bunch of experimenters got a hold of the lists and just swapped them. <laughs> so all, what? all the kids that were like tested into the trade school or were actually just took the college courses and went to university. And all the kids that like tested into the college track actually ended up in the trade courses and went to trade school. And there was no discernible difference in performance. <laughs> like, <laughs> Weird. Yeah, funny, funny how that plays out the, when you, you know, prepare people for a thing, they actually can do the thing. Um, and yeah, I thought of that story while uh, while watching this movie. So I think you, I think you are correct. I, I think it was good that he was on like the janitorial staff. Yeah, like, like I liked that sort of switch between like him being a janitor and then him being on the other side of things. Right. Well, and yeah. that the Ernest Borgnine character couldn't recognize him. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. the, he just misses that. Like this is the same dude that he was bossing around a few weeks. He's not ago. wearing glasses anymore, He's right? That's the glasses. universal rule of movies. You take off the glasses, you're a totally different yeah, person. Yeah, the Superman effect. Yeah. Yeah. But that would be um, that'd be a nice way to build solidarity among the workers, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. again, the movie the movie doesn't seem to have that like class context in mind it does but it doesn't yeah it doesn't seem to have like the language for it right it, i mean this movie is talking around a lot of points yeah i think like it's mm -hmm. it's like hinting at some things and and on certain points i think it's effective where it's like not being preachy or it's like being subtle about it and like letting the audience arrive at the thing and like that's good and i think that that mm -hmm. is that is useful but there are other times when it's kind of like maybe you could put a pin on this a little bit mm -hmm. maybe you could say the thing that you want to say yeah. I, I I wonder if it's because like people don't have the language for like class. I feel I feel like it's class politics has really been lost. Well, up until very recently, was yeah. very much lost in our language and just how we think about society. And uh, yeah, that's, yeah, well, yeah. This is and like me, like when you don't have the language for it as a society, it's like hard to talk about it. Yeah, this is a pro post Reagan '90s where this movie comes out, and it's like, yeah, you're like, especially then, there wasn't any language to talk about it. The economy's moving, everybody's happy with Clinton, like, yeah, like we, we, nobody was talking about class at that point. Mm -hmm. um, what I thought of, speaking of messaging in this movie, was like how we define wellness, yeah. and like that doing this type of gene therapy necessarily requires a definition, right? Like if you're saying that this person is healthy or not healthy, you have to say what healthy means and you have to mm -hmm. say what unhealthy means. And sometimes that's easy. Sometimes it's like you don't get cancer, right? Like yeah. that that's one thing. But like you also hear about people that like are somewhere on the autism spectrum and can perform tasks in a way that other folks can't. Right. And, and the same idea with like attention disorders, right? Mm -hmm. Like what might be we define now as an attention disorder could be just a different way of looking at the world. And the, the world that we're in now might treat attention disorders as something dysfunctional, but if you organize work or the pattern of life or like when people wake up and get up differently, maybe what looked like an attention disorder is instead just a different way of approaching mm -hmm. the world or a different way of uh, how you you know go about your day to day. And if you live in a society that is saying, 
this is the way that people are supposed to be well, you lose that, right? Mm -hmm. You lose those kind of th th those kind of perspectives and, and, and those those kind of people, um, in a sense. And I think that that again, something not explicitly stated by the film, but I think it's here, and I think that that's worth thinking about um, in the context of Gattaca here. Yeah, it's it's an ethno state, right? Right. That's what they're yeah. going for. That, that's the thing. And, and you're presented with again, like, do you genetically engineer out? homosexuality I don't know like that, that what would this society <laughs> say about that do you genetically engineer out people that are you know look like have a less pleasant physical appearance right like are you specifically finding beautiful people to to engineer into are you are you specifically finding white people are you like, of course that quickly goes into what you define as beautiful exactly and all that. right and what is defined as beautiful is always informed by culture and mm -hmm. especially by race and that's a problem all right, so any any closing thoughts on this film? Yeah, I mean, I liked it. Uh, it was a good movie. Uh, again, really good under, underdog story. An interesting peer into what society could become. Um, bit of a bit of a warning message, I suppose. Um, and a, a bit of, like, low-budget, like, rough edges here and there. But all in all, I liked it a lot. Well, it's, it's very, like, of its time. Yeah. That, like, mm -hmm. the 90s is the first time that, like, genetics were, like, I'm mass culture idea mm -hmm. like i think like jurassic park kind of like introduced that idea oh, yeah. to jurassic park and the oj trial yeah yeah, yeah honestly yeah. <laughs> so like early aughts late 90s is like everything was about like dna cloning yeah there's so many like cloning movies from like the early aughts yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, I like this movie was tanked apparently like it was it just made no money mm. when it came out like i think it operated at a loss for a very very long time um, and I wonder how much of that is because audiences just like didn't understand genetics and like didn't have the working knowledge yeah. that you might have ten mm -hmm. years later. Um, but as cinema, like, and we haven't like discussed it just as, like for its you know pleasure, the pleasure of viewing it. I think it works really well, right? Like yeah. you, you kind of have to walk walk around the Uma Thurman stuff um, to no fault of her own, just like that's the script. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, like as of just kind of like this spy noir, almost like a heist story, like it works really well. Like I liked it, um, and it like the the touching ending worked for me with the doctor and everything. Like yeah, yeah like it, it deals it, well with tension as well. Right. So it's it's a fun ride. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I liked it in that respect. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot too. Okay, I good. Think, I think it moves for being like a pretty chatty movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I I agree. It's well paced. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, works as a movie. Um, so it's a thumbs up for me. I think it's worth watching. Yep. Yeah. Same. All right. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, we'll be back in a moment with things we've seen. We'll see you then. And we're back with things we've seen. This is a segment where we talk about other movies or media that we've seen recently outside of the context of this podcast. Now, I haven't had the chance to see anything new recently. Uh, Cross has a of very robust social life. Yes. <laughs> not going to movies alone. Yeah. Um, but go ahead, Cross, uh, what have you seen? Um, I watched uh, Incendies, which is one of Denis Villeneuve's French films. Just, I like his movies a lot, so I I'm a big wanted fan. to like sort of dive into his catalog, and mm -hmm. this one has been recommended many times by our friend Adam. It's a hell of a film. It's uh, set during, I think it's the Lebanese Civil War, um, where there were the society was like sort of split culturally along like a sort of Christian group and a Muslim political group, and then one decided to like kill the other. Okay. And it's sort of like set in the backdrop of that, where um, at the very beginning of the film, 
this uh, the main character is this woman. I'm forgetting like all their names now. She like suddenly stops talking and then dies, and then okay. she leaves this note to her twin children that um, their father is alive and she wants them to like go back to the old country and like find their father. Okay. And then it's a story that's told in two times. One when that woman is is younger and this is like the breakout of the civil war and then one in sort of like today quote unquote where her daughter like goes back to the country and like tries to find their their father it's a very brutal movie um about how this this woman who could have like left didn't and the reason that she doesn't leave is um she had uh, given birth to a son, and that son was put into an orphanage, and the orphanage was, like, behind the, like, conflict lines. So rather than, like, leaving the country at the right time, she decides to, like, go find her son at the orphanage. Um, and then things go, like, very poorly for her. Um, and then in, in her will, which she had left to her twin children, they were not aware that they had a brother. Okay. Um, so their goal is to like find their father and and also figure out like who their who their brother is. Okay. Um, and then it's just kind of like a mystery story that's told in like two times, and the movie <clears throat> the movie sort of like converges on the point where mm-hmm. it's revealed. You know, like the mystery is like revealed to our main character and then also to uh, her children. Um, but yeah, it's it's very. Um, What's interesting about it is that it, it's a war movie, but it's such like an anti-war movie. Like it's shown, mm-hmm. like the brutality of war is shown. It's not like a cool war mm-hmm. movie where like people who don't deserve to die are just like kind of wantonly mm-hmm. slaughtered. Um, there are multiple like acts of like uh, sexual assault and violence against women um, in this movie. And... It's like a really strong like anti-war like message and how mm-hmm. war like consumes uh, the like the real victims of war, not like the people who are like die like fighting in the war, but rather like the people who were not fighting in the yeah, war. Right, yeah, yeah. just present. Yeah. Um, very, very powerful film, and the, and the mystery is like very interesting and reveals a lot about like. The characters, it's it's good, mm-hmm. um, but it's not like a pop film <laughs> at all. Like really, yeah. you're selling it as like <laughs> yeah. So, it, but it's interesting to see like oh, then we like take this director and apply him to like pop filmmaking, right. and he's very good at it. Like, yes, Denis Villeneuve films are like very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the ability to like tell this story in such a way that like it's just like I like don't feel good about watching more movies anymore. It's like. <laughs> Is is very powerful. And, uh, it, it sounds like it shares uh, some DNA with Sicario, uh, uh, which he does yes. also. Yeah, yeah, it does actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sicario is a very like masculine movie, though. Even it's, it was like critiquing that masculinity, though. That, that's yeah. why Emily Blunt is the lead, for sure, yeah. for sure. Um, but I I think this this movie is much more like really trying to show like the victims of sure. war and that that like dark side of war, whereas. I guess I guess Sicario is also critiquing that, but but well, I think like drug war subsist. I think the main characters though like are the are the victims of okay. the war mm-hmm. rather They're than not, like, participating in it. Yeah, rather than the perpetrators, which okay. I think is more powerful because you see like sure. how it affects them in such like horrible ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, but I think it's also like a very um, hopeful movie as, as well at the same time where it, I feel like the message of the movie is partially like this conflict like didn't make any sense mm-hmm. and there was no, because there's like no reason for it, therefore it's like avoidable. Yeah. And so if we see that through like the eyes of its victims, I think, I, I, I think that's like a powerful and important message. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it's very, very good film, and I would recommend it. Okay, yeah, this, right. is, this is one I, I've had yeah. on my list forever, because I think it's the only movie of his I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was his first one, right? Like, this is his premiere? One of his early films, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, so yeah, I've been meaning to see it forever, and I should. And it's told in, like, it's told in, like, multiple languages, too, and it's okay. a lot about, like, the way cultures, like, interact, because, okay. like, the children are living... Uh, initially, I thought it was in France, but they're living in, in Canada, and so there's like, there's like English and French and Lebanese and like mm-hmm. all these like languages and the inability to like speak to different people like adds to the mystery because mm. it's like if you're just able to like talk to that person, they would be able mm-hmm. to like tell sure. you what was going on. That's interesting. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the living in Canada makes sense because you, you have the society of two languages and so you're constantly like... Mm-hmm doing a translation of things and that, I think that's like very important to this film okay that's cool yeah it's a very very good film um, yeah I recommend yeah. it yeah I kind of want to see like all those other like French films which I don't think there's that many but uh-huh. uh, no there aren't uh, yeah. have you seen Enemy the one you did with Joan Hall no that's an awful movie too yeah yeah um, so yeah put that one on the list is that the one where he's like he's seeing himself yes where he like, like he yeah. encounters somebody that looks exactly like him and it's like mm-hmm. trying to figure out why that is um, one of the wildest endings I've ever seen, ever, in any movie. Like, okay. Yeah. Like, it's out the, there. This one also, like, the the turn, I knew there was a turn mm-hmm. coming, and it's telegraphed throughout the film, but I did not, I did not expect the turn to be what it was. Yeah. And, Same thing for this. Yeah. For this okay. <laughs> um, I saw a movie, too. Um, so the Metrograph in Lower East Side has been doing a retrospective the last few weeks on uh, Satoshi Kon. Mm-hmm. who is, uh, was an anime director throughout the early 2000s. He did, um, most famously, Tokyo Godfathers, um, but also Paprika, Perfect Blue, uh, Paranoia Agent. Uh, before he died, re- very young, of cancer. It was really a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Like, we missed a lot of excellent cinema because he passed away and re- really at a very young age. I think he was in Damn. his 40s. Um, and they showed, uh, or what I saw at Metrograph, um, Millennium Actress, which was one of his that I, I had not seen before. Um, so the... It's an anime. The, the premise is that there is a documentarian who worked for a now defunct uh, film studio in Japan who is making the trek to somewhere in like the outskirts of Tokyo to uh, conduct an interview with a famous uh, Japanese actress that he was a big fan of growing up and like she kind of disappeared from society after making a, a certain number of films. Um, so the movie plays out over the course of this interview with her walking through her life and her or her career starting in uh, World War II in Japan, moving through to Manchuria, and then into her more modern film career. Um, it was co- it's been compared, apparently, to Mulholland Drive um, several times, um, huh. which I saw and didn't see. So the, the, the way this movie is presented is that they actually enter into these films, like as, the, as these stories are being told. Oh, like okay. it's what you're... That's cool. It, it, it is. It's a really effective method and you're like shifting throughout these Japanese genres. So it's, it's 
uh, it's a history of this individual person and this character, but it's also kind of this history of Japanese cinema, mm -hmm. which is which is compelling. And like Satoshi Kon has a look, like he has a way of animating his movies and directing his films, and it's it's present here and it, and it's very effective. Um, the the hook is that when she's a young girl, um, during I guess this yeah it would have been during World War Two, um, she meets a painter that's like on the run from the authorities. Um, in her small town in Japan. Um, he says that he's running away to Manchuria and that she should come find him and that, that, and that this is her only encounter. And she spends essentially the rest of her life looking for this guy. That, like, she is compelled by it and to, to the point where it really like, doesn't make sense um, and that it's like, hmm. difficult to explain in the narrative why she is so compelled by this. Um, it, it was a good movie. I, I liked it a lot. I think that it was largely about the relationship between creators and audiences. I think that that's what is really going on here is that she mm -hmm. is chasing after an aud audience that like gave her a taste early on and that she's looking for that approval but it's like never actually there and that mm. she's she's constantly chasing it until she actually has to remove herself from the industry which is which is what happens in this movie. It's also just a, a one of those movies that's just a celebration of film and a celebration of fandom and just like what we as audience members, which is what this documentarian is as, as well, uh, can gain from, you know, the art that the the people we love could create, or the the, the uh, creators that it, that influence us and speak to us most deeply, um, and it was very effective in that light as well. Nice. Um, so for, for me, it's an e it, it's an easy recommend. Like I've seen, I think everything Satoshi Kon has done at this point. Um, he also did Paprika, which is really just Inception before Inception. Um, he did uh, Perfect Blue, which is a creepy fucking movie. Um, so he's like kind of all over the place. Um, but it's they've all been really good, and they've all been like expertly uh, crafted and expertly told, and um, it's really sad that he died when he did. Yeah. Um, but but this one was good too. I think, I think Metrograph is still running a few of his movies. I think Millennium Actress specifically was held over. Um, so if you're in the city, you can go see it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it was a thumbs up for me, Lenny Macris. Yeah, nice, cool. So it is your pick, Crossman. Yes. What are we What are we gonna watch? I've I've never seen The Social Network, the David Fincher. Mm. Okay, great. It'll be weird as hell watching this movie. Andrew R. Sorkin, 2019. Um, okay, great. Good pick, Social Network. Cool. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, if you're liking the show, please share it. We are on Facebook. We are on iTunes, we are on Google Play. I ha we, we've received complaints that we're not on Stitcher, which I need to look into. I forgot earlier. So we will shortly be on Stitcher, um, which is evidently a popular one. Um, and we'll be back next week with The Social Network. See you then. <laughs>